for Grace here in Tiffin. This is our first Easter, all right, that we've ever been able to do in Tiffin. Um, we're excited to be here. The, um, this is a, a day that really our church that we have been looking for, forward to for, for years, okay? And it's finally here, and I'm super excited to be here. Um, we're, you know, we're here. Uh, it's funny because our church, we have, we have a, a few different campuses and uh, all, us campus pastors, we get together through, during the week and we talk about kind of what we're talking about, what we are going to be talking about on Sunday. And some of the guys just like, hey, you know, I don't know, what are we going to do for Easter? I'm like, what are we going to do for Easter? It's Easter. Like it's the one Sunday out of the year that everybody comes to church knowing what you're going to talk about. It's like the Super Bowl for the church, you know, this is easy. All you have to do is tell the story, and it's a good story, you know? And, um, and so it's interesting. One thing that I love about the Easter story is that it actually points to an answer to a question that I think everybody in here should ask. And maybe it's a question you haven't asked for a long time. Maybe it's a question, you know, you haven't asked since you were a kid in Sunday school or some other church growing up that your grandma took you to, you know, once in a while, you know, maybe. But, uh, but you should really consider asking yourself this question, the question that Easter forces us to ask. And uh, the question is this, what am I going to do with this Jesus guy? What am I going to do with him? All right, who was he? Why'd he come? You know, what's the big deal about Jesus? Um, this is actually what we've been talking about here at Grace for the last few weeks. By the way, if you're coming in this morning, you haven't been here for the last few weeks, um, or, or maybe this is your first time, we are so, so pumped that you're with us. We really do hope you enjoy our service and our music and, and the message. But, uh, but just letting you know straight up, like up front, you're coming in at the end of the movie, but luckily for you, it's the best part of the movie. All right, so... Um, so it's good, but, uh, but we've been going through the story of Jesus' last week before his death and ultimately his resurrection, all right? It's the greatest week in history, and, uh, and we've, we started on Saturday, then Sunday, then Monday, then Tuesday, then, then Wednesday, then what happens on Thursday, and uh, we realized that throughout the week, everything kind of builds upon itself, it kind of builds up, where the religious leaders of that day Right? They just get more frustrated and more frustrated with Jesus. That at the end of the week, they just want to kill him. Right? They want him out of here. They're tired of him. They, people are believing in him. They're tired of what Jesus is saying. They're tired of what Jesus is doing. And they just want Jesus gone. All right? They want Jesus dead. And it's so interesting to me that Jesus came, right? and I say this all the time, but Jesus came as the ultimate religious leader. Right? I mean, think about it. It's God in a human body, okay? Jesus came at the, as the ultimate religious leader, but he did not gravitate towards religious people. All right, he didn't. All right, in fact, they constantly butt heads, and, and people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and Jesus, he liked them back. Right, that's the Jesus that we see throughout this story. And, and all this is taking place within the context of the city of Jerusalem uh, 2,000 years ago. There, everybody, there's this festival that's going on. It's called the Passover, where hundreds of thousands of people from around the world would come and kind of descend on Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and there they would, they would celebrate this festival. And so Jerusalem, if you can picture this, Jerusalem's like packed, all right? They're packed full of people. They're packed like uh, Madison, trying to go to Madison Street on a, on a Friday night. All right, you can't get a table. You got to wait. Like this, everything about Jerusalem is, is like that. It's just packed full of people. And last week, we left off on Thursday night where Jesus and his disciples, they're eating dinner up in a second story room. And something is, is just, something's bothering Jesus. And he's sitting there and, uh, and he just kind of lets it out. He just says, Hey, you know, one of you guys are going to betray me. 
And you know how it is when somebody, we've all been there, where somebody around you says something awkward, like within a small group of people, and it just, everything just kind of goes silent, and you're like, what? Did I just hear that right? Like, that's weird. What are you talking about? You know, um, I think that's exactly what happens. So my guess is that it kind of went silent, and then immediately the guys are like, um, you know, and probably Peter, he's kind of a loud mouth, so he's probably the first one to step up and say, ah, not me. I'm not going to, you know, that's not going to be me. I won't, I won't be that guy. You know, I'm not going to betray you. And they all start saying the same thing. Not me. Well, it's not me. Even Judas says, says, not me. And during this moment, it's when Judas, he gets up. The Bible tells us he gets up and leaves. And he goes straight to the religious leaders who hate Jesus' guts. And he says, hey, how much again would you give me if I, if I give Jesus to you or if I betray Jesus and hand him over to you? And Judas basically says, hey, tonight's a night. All right, like if you're going to do this at all, like it's got to be today. Like it's, it's tonight. I know exactly where Jesus is going uh, to be. And so in the meantime, you got Jesus. He's still up in the, in the second story room with the disciples. And, um, and, and they're, still, they're still arguing with Jesus, saying, Jesus, you don't know us. Like I don't think you know us it's as good as you think you do. And, and, you know, we would never do that. None of us would betray you. And then they start arguing amongst themselves, talking about who's the best, well, maybe it was him. Maybe, you know, maybe he would because I'm better than him. You know, they start talking about who's the greatest. See, it's so interesting to me that we get this idea from, ironically, church, that, uh, that the last night, you know, we call it, you know, in the upper room or the Lord's Supper, you know, we got all these names for it, or when Jesus institutes communion, that last night before Jesus dies, is they're in that, that second story room, that they're all sitting at a table and we've seen the pictures and the paintings and stuff where they're all kind of sitting there. They got the gold cups and they're looking at Jesus and Jesus kind of glowing and they all got the were like robes and stuff on, and it's all cool. That's not how it was, <laughs> right? And the, these guys are all fighting with each other, arguing about who's the best. One's actively betraying Jesus, and the rest are arguing with Jesus about how he's wrong, and they wouldn't do it, because Jesus actually tells them, he says, actually, all right, one's going to betray me, sure, but all of you guys are going to fall away from me. All of you guys will fall away. All of you guys are going to fail me. All right, so interesting to me. By the way, um, this is one of the reasons why you should believe this story is because the disciples, they don't write themselves into the story as heroes. They write themselves in as failures, as guys who are so messed up as normal people like me and like you. And so after this after they have this conversation, you know, in this second story room, the Bible tells us that Jesus and the disciples, they go, they leave, they walk over to a nearby garden. And at this point in the night, I mean, it's late. And Jesus tells his disciples as they enter the garden, he says, hey, you guys, I want you, I want you guys to pray. All right, you don't understand what's about to happen, but some stuff is about to happen, like even tonight. And so I really need you guys to stay up with me. I need you guys tonight. I need you guys to pray. And then he says, hey, Peter, James, John, you guys come with me. They go a little further into the garden. He says, hey, I want you guys to pray here. And then Jesus goes in a little further and he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray. And this is what he says. He says, then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. And he knelt down and he began to pray. This is what he says. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup away from me. Now, what, he's talk- what is he talking about here? He's talking about this cup of, what we find out later, this cup of wrath, all right, that that the Father is about to pour out on Jesus. He's saying, hey, please take this cup of wrath, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, he says, not my will be done, but yours. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, hey, God the Father, all right, if there is any other way, 
All right, like if there's some plan B that I don't know about, that you didn't tell me about, like uh, let's go with plan B, all right? If Oprah is right and all roads eventually lead to heaven, you know, let's just go with that. Or, or if all religions are basically the same thing, point to the same God, let, let's, just, let's just roll with that one. Or Because, you know, if, if it's just about being a good person, right? Or if it's just about having your good things outweigh your bad things and then, and then you're good, he's like, it just seems like to me that it's an awful waste of my blood tomorrow if there's another way. But not my will. Your will be done. And he gets up. And at this point, it's been about an hour. And he walks over to where Peter, James, and John are, and he finds them asleep. Any of you guys ever tried to pray for a long time and you end up falling asleep? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's what happens to these guys. All right, he finds them asleep. Again, it's late at night. They can't keep their eyes open. And, and they're probably going, no, we're praying. You know, he's like, you were snoring. Come on, man. You know, he wakes them up. Hey, guys, wake, wake up. I really need you tonight. You don't understand what's about to happen. All right, I need you guys out of all nights tonight. Jesus goes, he starts praying again. He actually goes back to them three different times. Each time he finds them praying. Again, these guys are writing themselves into the story as failures. And the last time as he's talking to him, he's, he's, saying, he's asking him to pray. And then at this moment, the, while he's talking, a crowd enters the garden. They got some torches. They got some swords. And Jesus knows what they're there for. He knows this is, is, is time. And so he calls out to him, not because he didn't know. I mean, obviously he knew. But he says, hey, who are you guys looking for? And they're saying, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Judas is with him, one of his own guys. Like the disciples, that was just like his crew. Like these guys were with Jesus for three, four years. Watching, they saw everything that he did. And Judas is leading them, and he says, I am he. And they all fall to the ground. Sweet. And then my guess is they probably get up a little more gingerly, like, um, Jesus, please, sir. All right, could, could you come with us? You know, they start to arrest Jesus. Say, hey, you know, we, we, I don't know who all this is. I don't know what that was, but, but uh, orders are orders. We, we got to take you in. Could you, could you come with us? And at that moment, you got Peter, James, and John. They're standing behind Jesus. And Peter's like, no way. All right, this isn't part of the plan. All right, you're not taking my Jesus. You're not taking Jesus away from me. See, what Peter's thinking is he's thinking that Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah is just, is just a word uh, that means Savior. Okay, he's thinking that Jesus is the Savior. And the Jewish people, that uh, in the Old Testament, God had promised the Jewish people that he would send them a Savior that wouldn't just be for them, but would be for the whole world. Right now, the Jewish people didn't quite understand exactly what that all meant. But Ju Peter is thinking in his mind, he's going, hey, Jesus is this Messiah. He's this Savior that we have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And he is going to become our king. And he is going to overthrow Rome because Rome owned, like, the world at that point in history, including the area of Israel. So that, like, he's going to overthrow Rome, and we're going to be a nation again. And they hadn't been a nation for hundreds of years by themselves. They've been owned by other empires. And so they're like, hey, this is it. Like, this isn't part of the plan. Jesus isn't supposed to be getting arrested. That has nothing to do with what's going on. And so Jesus, Peter, he pulls out his sword, and he's like, it's time for the revolution. Here we go. And he starts going for people's heads. And he swings and he misses, well, actually, he nicks a guy's head and he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus, he says, enough. Peter, put away the sword. And he bends down. He grabs this guy's bloody stub of an ear and he places it back on the guy's head. The guy's trying to arrest him. At that point, everybody in the crowd is just like, whoa, okay, you good? 
I mean, you can come with us if you want. You know, Jesus goes with them. And Peter, James, and John, they take off running. All right, they leave. They abandon him, and, uh, and they run away. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. says, they seized him, Jesus. And they led Jesus away, and they brought him into the high priest's house. Now, what are they doing in the high priest's house? Basically, they're setting up like a fake trial, okay? They're setting up a trial. The trial's rigged. They want to condemn Jesus as, as guilty. And so they get some guys to come in and testify some lies about him. And so he's there at the high priest's house. It says, meanwhile, Peter, he was following in the distance. Like, this is Peter, right? I mean, Peter's the one. He's like, hey, you know, I'm with you, Jesus, till the end. And he's now following in the shadows. And it says, they lit a fire in the middle of a courtyard, and they sat down together, and Peter sat among them. So there's this fire. If you could picture this, there's this kind of this courtyard. There's a fire they light. They're warming themselves at the fire. Uh, they could kind of see in. Peter could kind of see in to the, to, the Jewish, or to the high priest's house where they're doing this trial at. They could see through some, some things. And it says, when a servant saw him, sitting there. Now John, who gives us an account, this is Luke, John tells us, because he was there, he says this servant was actually like a, a girl, okay, like a, like a 12-year-old girl, okay? So this is a middle school girl. She saw him sitting in the light, and she looked closely at him, and she says, hey, um, this man was with him too, right? She's, like, she's looking at some of the others. She's like, this guy was with Jesus, but he denied it. He says, woman or girl? He says, I don't know him. A little while later, somebody else comes, uh, comes near him. She, he's like, hey, man, I think you are. Like, you are, you are. You were with Jesus. You're the guy who cut off that guy's ear, right? I saw you. And he's like, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know anything about him. And then a third time, somebody else comes up to him and says, hey, no, it's your accent, man. Your accent gives it away. You have the same northern Galilean accent as Jesus does. You're definitely one of them. And then Peter, for the third time, he starts swearing. He's like, I don't know this, man. I've never met this guy in my entire life. And then it's morning, and it's the, John tells us that, that Peter, he looks over right after he does this, and he looks through the opening, and Jesus looks back at him, and they make eye contact. I mean, can you imagine what that look was that Jesus gave Peter? I mean, this is the guy that just hours before, when, when Jesus tells him, he says, hey, Peter, before morning, all right, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three different times. And Peter's like, no way, Jesus, I'm the rock, man. You call me the rock. All right, I walked on water. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you to the death. I'm willing to die for you. I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm locked and loaded. I'm here with you for through the thick and the thin. Like, like, I'm here for you. And then, remember, he stands up. We talked about this last week. And he's like, hey, even if all of these, like, if these guys, like, like yeah, Matthew, I could totally see him betraying you, like, falling away. And John, yeah, you know, and Philip and all these guys. He's like, even if all of these fall away, I'm not. Mm -mm. Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, you don't know me at all. And here he is, denying that he even knows Jesus to a little middle school girl. Just a few hours later. And Jesus and Peter, they make eye contact. And I don't know what the look that Jesus gave, but I think in that moment, Peter, he saw Jesus' look. It registered with him. He's like, oh, what have I done? And the Bible says that Peter runs away. They then took Jesus. They blindfolded him. They took turns punching him in the face. And what they would do is they, the guards, they would punch him in the face, and then they would say, hey, Jesus, since you're God and everything, tell us who hit you. 
All right, tell us who punched you. You should be able to tell us that they're mocking him. And everything seems to be going according to plan, to the plan of the religious leaders. I mean, they are pumped. Like, this is exactly what they wanted. It's in the middle of the night. They've already had a trial. They've already found him guilty. They've already separated Jesus from his followers. They got Jesus alone. But they have one problem. And that is they cannot convict anybody to death. They can't kill anybody. Only Rome can do that. And so in the morning, they take Jesus to the Roman governor. His name is Pilate. And Pilate examines Jesus and finds nothing. In fact, it says, Pilate then told the chief priests in the crowds, he says, I find no grounds for charging this man. He's like, but they kept insisting. The religious leaders are like, no, no, Pilate, you don't understand. He stirs up the people. He's teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he started even to hear. Galilee was a region north of Jerusalem. And so when Pilate heard this, he's like, whoa, okay. He asked if the man was a Galilean. He's like, this guy's from Galilee? Well, finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. See, Pilate's going, okay, Herod is the next governor north of them. That's where Jesus is from. And so he sent Jesus to Herod, who was also by chance in Jerusalem during those days because of the big festival that's going on in Jerusalem. Now, Herod <coughs> was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about Jesus and, had, and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So here's Herod, the next governor up, happens to be in town all right, for this big festival. And so Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. And Herod's like, man, I've been waiting for this. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm all in. Like, like, bring on Jesus. I want to talk to him. I've been, I've been wanting to see one of his tricks that he that he's does. I mean, I've had people coming around. They tell me all these things that he's been doing. He's been healing people that are blind, people that can't walk. All of a sudden, they can walk. I mean, just last week, I heard that he, he you know, raised somebody from the dead, Lazarus. And, and so he's like, he's like, I've heard all these rumors. I don't know if I believe him or not, but I want to see some of this for myself. And he's like, I want Jesus to perform some trick. And so Herod kept asking him questions, but Jesus didn't even answer him. This is the chief priests and the scribes. They stood by and they vehemently, they were vehemently accusing him. Then Herod with his soldiers, they treated him with contempt. They mocked him. They dressed him in bright clothing and they sent him back to Pilate. And that very day, Herod and Pilate became friends because previously <clears throat> they had been enemies. I mean, all the details that Luke here um, gives us, all right? See, nobody wants to make a decision on what to do with Jesus. Nobody does. Pilate doesn't want to, so he passes it off to Herod. Herod doesn't want to, he passes it off back to Pilate. By the way, none of us have that luxury. All right, none of us do. All right, we all have to figure out what we are going to do with Jesus. And so Pilate here, he comes up with a plan. All right, during uh, this festival that, that was going on, they actually had a tradition that Pilate would do is he would release a, one, of his, one of his Jewish uh, prisoners uh, back to the Jewish people as like a gift or whatever, you know. And so he's like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. So he goes, and my guess is he probably goes and grabs the worst guy that he can find. It's this guy named Barabbas. Barabbas, we know, is a murderer. He had killed people. All right, he was a, he was a thief. He was just an all-around Bad guy, right? He had done a bunch of stuff. And so Pilate goes and gets Barabbas. He's like, I'll pick you, Barabbas. You're the worst. All right, he goes, picks Barabbas, and then he holds Jesus on one side. He's like, all right, you know the tradition. All right, I'll give you guys back one, one, of, these, um, you know, one of these prisoners that I have. And, uh, and he said he's trying to give the crowd another chance. All right, he's saying, hey, Barabbas or Judas, which one do you want? He's also trying to get out of making the decision. 
And so the crowd in unison, they're just going, they start going, hey, give us Barabbas. All right, we'll take Barabbas. We want, we want that guy. We don't want Jesus. And the crowd actually begins to riot. And at this point, all right, Pilate kind of gets he's getting a little worried. He's like, oh, man, okay, I really thought that would work. Um, he starts, he starts kind of, he starts kind of freaking out because he's like, he doesn't want to get in trouble with his superiors. And so, and so he comes up with another plan. In verse 13, it says, Pilate called together the chief priests and the leaders and the, and the people. And he said to them, he says, hey, here's the deal. You have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things that you accuse him of. All right, that's a problem. He says, by the way, neither has Herod because he sent him back to us. So clearly he has done nothing to deserve death like what you want. So he's like, so therefore, I've come up with a plan. It's a good plan. You're going to love my plan. I'm all about my plan. You ready for my plan? He says, I will have him whipped, and then we'll release him. All right, so Pilate comes up with this, this plan. He's thinking, hey, if, I'll have him, if I have him whipped and beat within an inch of Jesus' life, the crowd's going to change their mind. All right, they'll see Jesus when I present him, and, and they'll, you know, that's when they'll, they'll realize, they're like, okay, yeah, that's, you know, he's had enough, or right? he's gotten his punishment. And, and so he orders for Jesus to be whipped. Now, when they would do this, the Romans would do this. They were, they were experts at this type of stuff. The Romans would have a long leather whip, and at the end, um, would, the whip would kind of divide into, like, a bunch of different parts, sometimes nine parts. Um, and uh, at the end of those, like, you know, ends, <laughs> at the end of the ends, right, they would tie pieces of bone and like pieces of glass too, okay? So they took Jesus, they tied him to a post, they pull off his, his shirt and his clothes, and then they start wailing on him over and over and over. And at first, it only just, it only just pulls the skin off Jesus's back, but then it starts ripping out chunks of flesh. I mean, this is, this is exactly what happened. And Jesus's ribs, by the time they were done, were probably exposed. And, and the Bible actually tells us that Jesus was unrecognizable. He didn't even look like a person anymore once they were done with this. And they slapped him, and they, they beat him, they punched him, they mocked him. Actually, this is the moment where the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, they go and they create a crown of thorns, and they place it on his head, and then they, they take the robe and they wrap that around him, and they start bowing down to Jesus, saying, oh, hell, King Jesus, like this is the king. What a great king you are. Look at you, king of the Jews. And after they're done, they take Jesus back to Pilate, and Pilate takes Jesus, and he presents him to the crowd. He, Jesus has got his crown of thorns on. He's got his, he's got his robe on him, and Jesus, Pilate says he's all proud of himself. He's proud of his plan. He's like, here's the man. Jesus. And when the crowd sees him in unison, they start saying stuff like, crucify him. Hey, Pilate, crucify that guy. He should be crucified. They start chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. By the way, this is the same crowd that a couple weeks ago here in church, we talked about how um, on Palm Sunday, so just a few days before for Jesus, this was the same crowd that was welcoming, welcoming Jesus in to Jerusalem with open arms, right? They're, they're waving palm branches. They're singing Hosanna. They're like, you know, um, welcome King Jesus, right? All hail King Jesus. King Jesus is finally here. This is our Savior. This is our Messiah. But here they have completely changed their mind. And Pilate can't believe it. Pilate's just like, man, I really thought that would work. 
And so Pilate takes some water and he washes his hands in front of the crowd. And he says, you know what? You guys aren't, but I am innocent of this man's blood. And then he orders for Jesus to die on a cross. So the soldiers, they took Jesus and uh, they make him carry his own cross until he can't carry it anymore, right? Because he doesn't have enough strength left. And so they actually pull a guy out of the crowd. They make this guy carry Jesus' cross the rest of the way up the road. Um, they take Jesus to a place right outside the, the city, but uh, on a very busy, on a ve- next to a very busy road. And again, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are coming into Jerusalem for this festival. So, so they want it to be public and they want everybody to be able to know. And they take Jesus and they lay him down on this cross, And they begin to drive the nails through his wrists. And then they take his feet, they put that together, put them together, and they start driving the nails through his feet. And he is nailed to to these wooden beams. And they take that cross and they put it in the ground. And Jesus hung there. See, crucifixion was known for being the worst way to die. All right, by far, the worst way to die. Uh, nobody, nobody wanted to be crucified. It was actually designed to keep someone alive as long as possible, but also as painful as possible. See, we would normally think of like, you know, like for me anyway, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff, but, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, you know, someone's going to bleed out. Like, that's how they're going to die. That didn't happen, right? They nailed him in a way that he wouldn't bleed out. Okay, very, very few people died from loss of blood. Most people, you know how they died? They died from drowning in their own fluids. Because every breath, as their hands are nailed to the cross and their feet are nailed, they had to push up on the nail on their feet and pull up on the nails on their hands, on their wrists, to, to, to breathe. And so breathing was very difficult. And, some, and this, this was a very slow process. Some guys, I mean, they, they hung on a cross over a day. It took them to die. And at one point, Jesus, is, as he's hanging there, he looks over, he sees John, and he sees his mom, Mary. And, uh, and they're, they're, you know, they're over here somewhere, and, and he looks over at them, and he pulls himself up with what little strength he has left. And he says, John, take care of my mom. See, we got this picture of Jesus on the cross, and, and it's like this idea of like, oh, yeah, it was up on a hill, and, and, um, and he was there, and there's like a, a nice sunset behind him and some birds, you know, doing their thing, and, and he's hanging there. He's kind of falling asleep. You know, it's just peaceful. That's not how it was. Not even close. Like, this was nasty. This was gruesome. Right, we have no idea what this was like. I mean, this was, this was rough, and he's not the only one being punished here. All right? He's not the only one hanging on the cross. Luke says there's two others. In verse 32, he says um, two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. All right? And when they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, he cries out to the Father. He begins to pray. He says, Father... All right, give me justice, right? Father, all right, give, pay these men back for what they're doing to me. You need to make this right. This is not fair. That's not what he says. He says, Father, forgive them because they have no clue. They do not know what they are doing, and they divided his clothes and cast lots. <clears throat> the people stood watching, and 
Even the leaders were scoffing. They're making fun of Jesus. They're saying, hey, he saved others. Let him save himself. Like if this is actually God's Messiah, like if this is actually the chosen one that we were promised in the Old Testament, then he should be able to save himself. And the soldiers, they also mocked him. They were saying, hey, you know, they came offering sour wine and said, hey, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Come on, man. And then an inscription was above him. And the inscription read, this is the king of the Jews. And really, Pilate does this. He has this sign put above Jesus. And he does this as like a jab, all right, not only to the religious leaders, but a jab to Jesus himself. And um, he's really mocking both of them. And, he's, and he has it written in three different languages. It's just in case anybody who's walking by, you know, for the, for the festival, there's people from all over the world. Everybody knows exactly why this guy's dying, that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And actually, the religious leaders, they go to Pilate, and they're like, hey, you need to take that sign down. He's not our king. We have nothing, nothing to do with this Jesus guy. And Pilate says, nah, it stays. Then one of the criminals, hang in there. He, he began to yell insults at Jesus. And he's saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. See, everyone has to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus. Even the guys who are hanging there dying with Jesus right next to him. See, this guy, he comes to God on his own Turns. Basically, his idea is, is, hey, if you are a real God, or God, if you are who you say you are, then why don't you fix this situation for yourself? Why don't you fix this situation for me? Fix it. Prove it to me. Show me. See, this weekend is uh, Easter weekend, and uh, <clears throat> we have a bunch of people at church this weekend. I'm not talking about here. I'm really talking about a bunch of people all around the world where you only come to God in your own terms. And it's this kind of thinking. It's like, hey, God, if you are who you say you are, then why don't you fill in the blank? Right? Or, hey, God, I'll believe, but first you have to do this for me. That's not giving your life over to Jesus. Right? I'm just throwing that out there. Right? That's just getting what you want out of him. Right? That doesn't work. The guy on the other side of Jesus, he hears what that first guy is saying. So he looks over. He's like, bro, are you serious? This guy doesn't deserve this. And, and he says this. He says, but the other answered. He's rebuking him. He says, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment. He's like, man, you are about to die. And you don't fear God even now in your last moments? He says, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Check out what Jesus says. This is awesome. He says, and he said to him, he says, truly I tell you that today you, sir, will be with me in paradise. So here's this guy. Somehow on the cross, right, like he's dying. Like this criminal, this horrible person gets that Jesus is who he says he is. Like he gets it. Light goes on. You know, it's like, like he understands he's in terrible pain. He's actively dying. He's not only defending Jesus, but then, but then he asks Jesus for a favor. By the way, not like the other guy. The other guy is demanding Jesus fix his problem. This guy is asking Jesus for a favor. And if you have ever given your life over to Jesus, that is exactly what you're doing. It's where you realize that you are nothing, right? You realize that you are a wretched sinner who deserves punishment like I do. And you're asking God for forgiveness. It's forgiveness that only he can give. And by the way, notice what Jesus doesn't say. 
right? He doesn't say, hey, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, sir, uh, or sure, but uh, you, got, you got some stuff to work on, all right? You go work on some stuff. You get everything right in your life. You go to church next Sunday. You stop drinking. You know, that's probably good. You, you get baptized, right? Then, then I'll save you. Then you'll be good. That's not what he says. See, here's this guy who has ruined his life. It's the last few hours of his life, and he realizes that he's in trouble, and he realizes that he needs Jesus. You know, I talk to people all the time and, um, about this stuff, and some people, they're like, hey, uh, you know, I, I just don't understand that because, um, you know, you're, you're telling me that if some guy is just a hor- or some person is just a horrible, horrible person, they hurt other people around them, and they do terrible things to other people around them, you're telling me they could do that for their entire life, and then the last hour before they die, they can go to Jesus, and Jesus will forgive them? Compared to somebody else who is a really good person and does, you know, and only helps other people, but just because they're, they believe in some other religion or they, just because they reject Jesus is the only way, you're telling me that one gets to spend eternity with God and one doesn't? That doesn't sound very fair. Listen, listen, man, you don't want fair. All right, fair is not a, uh, it's not a biblical value that we see. All right, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad uh, with three kids. And it's funny, um, you know, you, you do something, parents, you probably understand how this goes. You do something nice or, you know, you get something for one of your kids or do something for one of your kids. And the other kid's like, hey, what about me? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, w- w- what about me? You know, that's not fair. I, I want to go or, or I, want, I want one of those. You know, I'm like, hey, you don't want fair, right? You know what's fair? Let's divide the mortgage up five ways. That's what's fair. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or, uh, or how about whoever paid for the TV gets to watch the TV, Right? See, they don't really want fair. None of us really want fair. You don't want fair. The Bible says, by the way, you know what's fair? For every single person in this room, including myself, this says the wages of your sin, if you've only sinned once, is death. That's what Jesus is experiencing. It's eternal separation from God forever after we die. That's what's fair. That's what's right. And so we got this man on the cross, he gets it. He's like, man, this isn't, this isn't fair. All I have, all I could do is ask God for a favor to save me because I am messed up. And notice what this guy doesn't say, right? He doesn't say, hey, well, a lot of people, you know, think it's like, hey, Jesus, from now on, I promise I will. He doesn't say that either. He's got nothing to give. He doesn't produce this list of good stuff like some of us think we need to produce. Like, hey, look at all this good stuff, God, that I've done. Like, why would God allow me to go to heaven? Well, look at my list of stuff. Pretty good, huh? Pretty good. I, I'm kind of impressed with it myself. This guy doesn't do that. God's not, God's not interested in our good stuff or stuff that we think is good. All this guy has is all of himself. And that's, by the way, the only thing that Jesus is at all interested in. See, Jesus is not interested in your good stuff. He only wants all of you. That's why he's doing this. Luke tells us that from uh, noon until about three, we don't know when Jesus started hanging there, but from noon until three, the sky goes dark, right? And, And Jesus is hanging there. And at around three, Jesus pulls himself up one last time, and maybe he yells out, maybe he whispers, we don't know, but he says, it is finished. And he died. 
when he died, there was a, an earthquake, Luke tells us, and, and when this happens, the soldiers freak out. Like he says that, earthquake happens, the soldiers, they start to freak out. Then they say things like, hey, truly this guy was the son of God. Like this guy had to have been gotten the, and John tells us that he, because he was there, he's saying, hey, the crowds, they actually went home after seeing this and seeing how Jesus died, and they're beating their chest saying, what have we done? Later that night, a man named Joseph, he went and asked Pilate for Jesus' body, and he, he puts Jesus' body in his own tomb. He, first, he wraps Jesus with 75 pounds. That's a lot. Right, 75 pounds of spices. Now, why did he do this? Because he thought Jesus would do what all dead people do, which is stay dead. Let's pause right there in that moment real quick. Just think about this. From Friday night, you got all day Saturday, you got Sunday morning. Pause at that moment of history. What, what do we have? We got a dead Jesus. We got a corrupt religious system. We got a heartless empire. Right? We got a relieved Roman governor who cannot wait to get out of Jerusalem after this festival is over and go back to his coastal home. You got a group of sad uh, Jesus followers who have no Messiah. They have no hope because when Jesus died, their hope died with them. You got the first Easter Sunday. Nobody's dressed up. There's no Easter egg hunting. There's no chocolate bunnies. There's no peeps. I don't know. Anybody who likes peeps anyway. but uh, So that's probably a good thing that there were no peeps. The disciples are hiding. Right? Everyone thought the story was over. They got nothing. No hope. It's done. It's finished. Jesus is dead. But then something happened. This is the greatest thing ever in the history of the world. Luke tells us that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. Now, this is a group of women who are Jesus followers, and they're going to the tomb. By the way, they're not there to, uh, to see Jesus rise from the dead. They're not there going, okay, um, places, everybody. Let's all gather around the tomb. Remember what he told us. He taught us that he was going to rise again on the third day, and this is sweet. Okay, here we go. I want to see this. You know, cue the birds. Cue the, you know, cue the stone rolling away. Cue the sun. Jesus is right. They're not there for that. They're there with the spices that they prepared. Why? Because they're there to take care of Jesus' dead body. They believe that Jesus, right, is, you know, he's going to do what all dead people do. They're, he's going to stay dead. And so they get there. They realize that he's not there. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So these women, they run back to where the disciples are hiding, and they tell the disciples exactly everything that had happened. And uh, actually what they tell them is they say, hey, somebody has stolen the body. They don't say he resurrected, he rose again from the dead. They don't say that. They say, no, somebody stole the body. It says, but these words seem like nonsense to the disciples, and they did not believe the women. It says, but Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Now, John tells us in his account, he says, by the way, it was John and Peter, and John actually tells us only in his account that he actually beat Peter to the tomb when they ran there. Don't know what that's all about, but that's what happens. So John gets there. Peter comes huffing and puffing behind him. And when he stooped in to, to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. And so he went away amazed at what had happened. John tells us this was the moment that for both John and Peter, they actually believed. They finally, finally believe. Later on, Jesus, he actually shows up to them. All right, he talks with them, he eats with them, he spends time with them. We're actually going to talk about that next week and kind of finish off the story. And then he goes and he appears to 500 people at once. 
right? It's so crazy because it wasn't the miracles that convinced people. It wasn't all, this, all these miracles that Jesus did to show them all these signs. It wasn't that. It was the resurrection that convinced people that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was actually God. See, Christianity is not built on a faith of just, hey, just believe and you're good and, you know, you know believe in this fairy tale or whatever. No, this is built on historical events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and it's told to us by eyewitnesses. That's why we believe. And I get that there's people in here that you're just going, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I can buy the whole thing. And, uh, but here's the deal. No one can deny that 2,000 years ago, like, something happened with Jesus. Something happened that changed the world, all right? The whole world changed 2,000 years ago. I mean, something happened, all right? And, and it's, if you don't know what it is, then my question to you would be like, if that's not it, then what was it? Like, give me a better answer. I'm all ears. I'm all into it. See, everyone has to answer the question, what am I going to do with this Jesus guy? The religious leaders, Pilate, Herod, you know, both men on the cross, the disciples, they all had to answer it. And so do you. And so do me. By the way, trying to get out of it, choosing not to answer, that is an answer. Right? You're answering. You're rejecting him. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is not looking at you now going, man, 2,000 years ago, this looked like such a great plan. But now that I look at this dude here, shoot, I don't know. I, I wish I could take it back. You know, Holy Spirit, can we take it? No, okay, no, we can't take it back. But I wish I could. It's not what's going on. All right, he wants you, and you uh, will never find him unless you decide to choose to give your life over to him. See, choosing what you're going to do with Jesus, be careful with this, is like me holding this stick of dynamite in my hand. Now, this isn't a real stick of dynamite because AJ wouldn't let me bring a real stick of dynamite on stage. Okay, he's responsible, right? But, I mean, I, I'm telling you that it's fake, but you don't know if I'm telling you the truth. You can take my word for it, sure. I mean, it looks real, it feels real, it's the right size. Um, you know, choosing on what you're going to do with Jesus is like coming to church, you know, you're trying to figure it out, and so you study it, you look at, you know, all the evidence from all the different angles, and you, you know, you, you hold it kind of, and, and you're like, you know, you know a lot about it. You get on the internet, you become, you know, you become an expert on, on Jesus, or you become, an, you know, because the internet's got all the answers for everything. You know, you can learn all this stuff about it, but you cannot know unless you commit. You cannot know unless you light the fuse. This is the only way for all of us. Yeah, it's the only way for all of us to know for sure. By the way, Nick, AJ, this is the... This was the fake one, right? You don't know? Oh, jeez. Right? This is the only way to know if this is real or not. You have to commit. You have to take that step. Luckily, it is fake. <laughs> For me, mostly, but I don't know how big dynamite explodes. But uh, you have to commit. It's the only way. You got to jump in. You have to jump all the way in. It's the only way to know. And unlike this fake piece of dynamite, right? Like, no, Jesus is real. Like, the story is real. Like, that is actually truth. 
And God, God doesn't make it super complicated for us. In fact, he makes it really simple. He says, all you have to do, if that's what you want, you want to start a relationship with me. By the way, the relationship that each and every one of you, including myself, were born for, like we were created for. God's saying, if you want that, all you have to do is ask. Got to understand a few things to mean it. Right? You got to understand that you're a sinner. You got to understand that you're not perfect. Right, you got to understand you got, you got issues just like I do. You got to understand that 2,000 years ago that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, right? And, uh, and then he, we put him to death. And on that cross, he took your punishment. Why do you have to do that? Well, because God's perfectly just. Why couldn't he just like, like let it go? Like all the stuff that I've done, why couldn't he just let it go? Because that's not what God does, right? A perfectly just being, he has to punish sin. That's what's right. That's what logically makes sense. And that's the situation. So on that cross, when he died, not only did he satisfy his justice that needed satisfied, but he also satisfied his love for you and for me. Right? He took that cup of wrath that, we were, that he was praying about in the garden before he was arrested. He took that cup of wrath. He didn't just like take a sip of it. No, he drank it every last drop for you. And now he says, man, you could choose to accept it or you could choose to reject it. I pay for everything that you've ever done wrong. You could choose to pay for that yourself or, or you can accept me paying for it. And you can start that relationship with me today. By the way, there's no better day to do that than Easter Sunday 2021. And so real quick, what I want to do is I just want to lead you in a quick prayer. This prayer isn't anything like crazy. It's not, it's, it's not a certain amount of words. You got to say these certain words. It's not it. All right, it's making a decision in your heart to follow Jesus. That's what it is. And, and it's a conversation really that you need to have between you and your creator. And you don't have to say it out loud. God knows you know, right, your every thought. But real quick this morning, as, as I end, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that in case there's anybody in here that you're like, hey, man, t- today, like, like, I believe it, okay? I, and, and I want to start this relationship with him. I want to do this. I'm ready. I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm tired of doing life my way. I want to make this decision today. So why don't we all pray together? If you don't know that you 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 have a real, true relationship with Jesus. Don't fool yourself. If you don't, you know, if, if you don't remember a time in your life where you specifically made this decision to give your life over to Jesus, like a moment, I'm telling you, you probably have it. I invite you to pray something like this. Dear God, we, um, God, I am messed up. I am a sinner. I am, I am so screwed up, God, and I need you. I need you. I needed what you did for me 2,000 years ago on that cross. I needed that payment. You took that payment from me, and I believe that you did that, God, and I want you in my life. I need you in my life, and I'm making this decision right here today, Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021. I am giving my life to you. I want to thank you for going through all of that for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all pray together real quick as we wrap up. God, we uh, thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, us as Grace Church being able to be here on Easter. Um, Man, we've been looking forward to this for so long. and, And Lord, we thank you. 
for that. We thank you for our church family that we have here. Lord, we ask that there is anybody in this room who does not know you, that they would come and they would make that decision to follow you today because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And time is such a gift. God, we, uh, we thank you for this place. And ultimately, we thank you for what you did on that cross for each and every one of us two years ago, or 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name, amen.